0: Thanks for joining us on the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's episode is part two of our United series as we study the book of Ephesians. We hope you enjoy. Um, and you saw me have my headphones on and I'm pushing the mower up one side of the yard, down the other side of the yard, and uh, but it's not running at all. Like that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Like, Lance, what are you doing? That you're you're pushing your mower to try to mow the grass, but your your mower's not running. Like what's what's going on? Why are you doing that? I said, well, I mean, I don't have any fuel for my for my lawnmower, but I mean, I thought I might as well try to mow the grass anyway. I mean, a grass needed cutting, it's getting long, I have a lawnmower, I, just, I didn't want to think, I thought it was kind of silly to let the fact that I didn't have fuel stop me. So uh, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't mean, get a lot of agreement that that's weird. I think that's pretty weird. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. I thought that was weird to mow your grass without your your lawnmower running. I thought that would be really, really strange. I'm fighting wind up here. Um, So that would be kind of weird. Um, Maybe this will make more sense to you. I don't think think a lot of people connect with that. If I I walked in your house and you were pushing the vacuum cleaner back and forth, and uh, it was one of those seasons like during the hurricane, I know the Hinkle's didn't have any power during the hurricane. What if I walked in the Hinkle's house during the hurricane and uh, Brendan was pushing the vacuum cleaner? Probably has never happened. He probably doesn't know how to push the vacuum cleaner. But if he was pushing the vacuum cleaner back and forth, and I said, dude, why, what are you doing? There's no you're you you do not have any electricity. You, you you told me you don't have any electricity, there's no lights, it's not even plugged in. He's like, Well, I mean, I don't have any electricity, sure, but the floor still needed to be vacuumed, so I thought I would I thought I would just push the vacuum back and forth. It'd be kind of weird, right? Y'all did much better that time. A little better. Not much better, just a little better. So it'd be weird it would be weird to mow the grass without any fuel. It would be weird to uh, try to vacuum the floor if we didn't have our vacuum cleaner plugged in and have the power, the electricity coming into it. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like my life is very similar to those crazy, weird analogies that I just described to you. I know things need to be done, and so I just go ahead and start going through the motions and pretending like I have power to do them. Um, I know that I'm supposed to be a really good husband. I'm supposed to really love my wife, um, uh, take her on dates, be romantic. Uh, whisper sweet nothings in her ear I know that I'm supposed to be a good dad Uh, I know that I'm supposed to take care of my children love them put their needs before mine not lose my temper uh, not be too much of a perfectionist jerk and drive them crazy all the time I know that I'm supposed to do that back there uh, Emma Um, I know those are things that are supposed to be done Uh, but oftentimes I find myself trying to accomplish those things but lacking the power to do them well Lacking the internal transformation of God's spirit that I hope for, that I expect for in my life. Uh, to do them as effectively and powerfully as I would, I would think that, as I would hope that, as I hurt for experiencing my life. Can anybody else relate to that at all? Uh, one of the things that, one of the key words around here at Restoration Church, are three words that kind of drive us, authentic, relational, and missional. And authentic is one of those words where uh, it's okay for us to say, this is a struggle, right? We want to be better husbands, we want to be better dads. We want to be better wives, mothers, uh, better co-workers, better at our jobs, better leaders. We want to be better followers of Jesus. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you walk in here today and you go, if I'm being honest, I kind of stink at it. I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. Um, I say yes to the wrong things too often. I say no to the right things too too often. I struggle. Uh, if that's you today, I think the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at it's going to be helpful. It's been helpful for me this week as I reflected on it and studied it. Um, hopefully it'll be helpful for you. I don't want you to think it's some sort of pill we're going to take and everything's going to magically be better. Uh, the Christian life doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, as we get to the end of this text and get to the end of this uh, uh, talk today, you'll discover that this is supposed to be a journey. And there is a bit of it that's supposed to be a struggle because the number one thing we need to learn in life is how dependent we are on the grace of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. So anything in our life that helps us discover that we need to trust in His grace, grow in our trust and dependence in His grace is a good thing, right? This text is going to teach us a little bit more about what that means and how to live that out and how to figure it out. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to be in verse 15. As uh, As we get started, let me get it set up before I read it. So last week, Will took us through the first uh, 14 verses of Ephesians. Uh, We're going to go through the book together as as a group, so I hope you guys can be here a lot. But um, he took us through the first few few verses of Ephesians. And uh, what we discover in the text, he said, the big emphasis of that text is is that you're in unity with Jesus. Uh, And more than just some sort of metaphorical way, you are truly unified with Jesus Christ. You have become, become one with Jesus all through the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to teach in many different ways this idea of unity. He's going to use lots of different word pictures. He's going to use the word picture of a building and how we're part of a building that includes Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the ones he uses most often, the one we saw last week, is that we are connected to Jesus as our head. We are his body. He is our head. And just as you and your, bo- you and your head are one, right, your body and your head make one entity uh, we are one, we are unified with Jesus. Now, if you don't believe that, go and just take your head off, set it to the side, and see if you can get some work done, right? Those are interdependent parts of your being, are they not? Does that, does that make sense? All right, good deal. The, the lawnmower thing didn't make sense, but that's starting to make sense now. Okay, we're making sense. If we take our heads off, our bodies don't work. So that's, that's the picture, the word picture Jesus gives us to help us understand what it means to be one with Christ. And I, I know I said it, but are you one? With, is your body one with your head? Is your head one with your body? Of course it is, right? Those are absolutely interdependent, connected, unified two pieces of the puzzle. So with that in mind, that's the context. We're going to look at uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 15 together. I'm going to read a little ways stop and make a few comments uh, along the way, and then we'll, come, uh, we'll, we'll get through and have some really good points, I think, as we pay attention to the, to the Scripture. Here's what it says in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I do want to point out as we get reading, uh, before we read too much further, uh, there's a, this is one big idea, kind of like last week was one big idea, that kind of trickles on for a while. Um, uh, Paul was also a very wordy prayer. Have you ever been at, been at lunch or like Thanksgiving dinner or another meal with someone and someone starts to pray and they like pray for three hours and your food's getting cold and you are getting hungry and you wish they would shut up? You can, you can be, this is, remember, vulnerability, authenticity. Paul was a little bit that way in this prayer. I mean, he started up in verse one, and, or verse three, and really started trickling on and praying for a while. That's uh, a long prayer. Uh, the very first thing when he starts out, he says, for this reason. So what is this reason talking about? It's talking about the, the reason of the unity we have with Jesus. Because we're one with Christ, because we're interdependent with Jesus, uh, because that's our, our, our identity, because of this, Paul's going to pray some certain things. He wants to ask for certain things. And I love how he describes his prayer. He says, I do not cease. I don't, stop ce- I don't stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I like how this, this describes Paul's prayer life. And I think it helps us even understand what praying without ceasing means. What Paul's describing here is that he says, basically, every time I think of you, every time the Spirit of God brings you to my memory, I say something. I pray for you. I give thanks for something that God's done done in your life and in my life. As so a matter of fact, there's two things that define prayer in this text for Paul. Uh, the one is that he allows the Holy Spirit to guide his prayer by bringing things to his memory, which is a very powerful way for us to think about prayer. And if you think about it, it helps us understand what, understand what it means, that the, how the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. It's the same thing that John 14 and 15 says, when it says the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind your remembrance these things. The Holy Spirit does speak to people still in 2016, as much as he did when Scripture was being written. And when we read Scripture, it teaches us the same way Paul is reflecting on here. That he, teaches, uh, that he teaches us, the Holy Spirit teaches us by bringing things to our mind, by bringing thoughts into our heads. And Paul says that guides his, his relationship with the Spirit and it guides his prayer, his prayer life. And then his prayer life is interesting. He's not asking for things. Specifically, that's not the context of his prayer. He's thanking God for things that are already happening in the lives of the believers. And in the context of that gratitude, he makes his request. And what's his request? That the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given to them in knowledge. And then he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. We're going to come back to that at the end. We're going to come back to several pieces of this at the end. That you may know what is the hope of which he has called you. So what Paul's going to do is going to give us three things that he's praying that they would be able to see or understand or know. It is important to understand that Paul is not asking for these things to be a reality. They already are a reality. He's asking for the believers to become aware of how much of a reality they are. Does that make sense? So that's Paul's guiding thought, guiding context to this prayer. He wants them to be able to uncover and discover. What does it mean that you're unified with Jesus? Now, during this entire text and during this entire talk this morning, I want us all to be aware of something that's very important. Uh, You covered this last week but I want to hit it one more time. He says, he says this in the previous text. He says this is a mystery that's been revealed to us, or literally a secret that's been revealed to us as those who follow Jesus. What does that mean? That means that this, is, this, might, be, uh, this might require our imagination. This might require our, our, our sanctified imagination to understand what God is teaching us about walking with him and living him, about who we are in Jesus Christ. It might even feel a bit weighty today. Now some of us, sometimes we like to come in, get our pack of peanut sermon, knock it back a little bit real quick, and get out and say, hey, I've got my pack of peanut sermon, let me get on, get on with life. This text doesn't allow us to just simply move through it, make a couple of application points, and go home. I would challenge the thinking that that should define a good message anyway when we're trying to contain the infinite God inside of a theological text, right? Sometimes a text, sometimes a message ought to feel weighty sometimes it's okay for it to be difficult for us to get our minds wrapped around it and I think what Paul is challenging us to do is use our imaginations to engage what does it mean to walk with God to be one with Jesus so that when we reflect on that and use our imaginations uh we we can begin to conceptualize what does this mean I want you to be prepared that it's going to be weighty and you're going to have to do that today and there may be some moments where you're going to have to pause and reflect, and hopefully I don't talk so fast that you're not able to do that. Uh, one of the things we do at Restoration Church, for those of you who've been here a while you know this, if you're new, this, is, this might be helpful to you. After the message is over, we, have a, we break for anybody who needs to leave, uh, but in a couple minutes we come back together and we discuss the message. Anybody who wants to stay and do that, a lot of people choose to stay and ask questions. Today's message might be one of those where we need to do that a little bit more. And even more important than that, uh, one of the one of the big emphases of Restoration Church is what we call depth groups. It's where three or four or five guys get together, or three or four or five girls get together on a weekly basis, and they really uh, get to know each other really well. And they dig into dig into scripture and help each other get challenged by what the, what the text says. Uh, this might be one of those weeks where you want to focus in on what the text says and uh, and challenge yourselves to dialogue around that during your death group time. So with that in mind, here's what Paul does in the in the next part of this scripture. He gives us three things that he wants us to understand, three things that he wants our eyes to be open to, the the lights of our eyes to be seen. And they're they're kind of in parallel uh in what they do is they, one explains the other, if that makes sense. The first one is, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And we're going to spend some moments on that in a second. And what are the riches, this is the second one. What are the riches of his inglorious inheritance in the saints? And then the third one, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he explains that a little bit more. But those are three sentences that describe the same thing that Paul is hoping we can understand. Now those are heavy, weighty very significant things. They're so significant, they're how Paul describes the gospel. Paul describes the benefit or the outcome of the gospel in the terms that we've just read um, in this text. So let's look at the first one. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Uh, a lot of times we see the word called and maybe we think of like a preacher getting called. So, or maybe you're called into salvation. The word called is probably better translated position in this state, in this text. It's our position in Christ, our identity in Christ. Because we are one with Jesus, we have a certain hope. Or maybe uh, when we think of the word hope, we we might think of the word expectations. There are certain expectations that we should have because of our position in Jesus. And then as we keep reading, uh, we're going to understand a little bit more about what those expectations are. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? So in that text, we get to understand a little bit deeper what this, this expectation is that we should have. Now, if you remember from last week, we're talking a lot about the blessings. You, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, right? And then the rest of the text talks about what those blessings are. Paul's just going to go back through that material and maybe a little bit easier under, to understand way. Those blessings, those expectations are part of our position in Jesus, and then he tells us in the next phrase, what is the hope to which he's called you, and what are the riches? He's defining what those expectations are. They are riches of glory, riches of inheritance that we have as saints, as those who follow Jesus. Now, if this is new to you, I want to make sure I pause and say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. The word saint just means justified one or holy one. Um, uh, in some traditions of following Christ, there might be some people who are specially, uh, uniquely qualified as saints, But when we study the Scriptures closely, what we discover is that anybody who puts their faith in Jesus is declared righteous, declared holy in that moment. And because of that, the Bible consistently refers to that person as a saint. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. You might let someone know that at work tomorrow, that they can now refer to you um, as Saint Lance or or Saint Kiersey. uh, No, don't do that. That, that That doesn't usually go across well. But we are saints, and as saints... The expectation is is that we would have an inheritance that is defined by glory. So what is your inheritance? Because you are one with Jesus, now you have the inheritance of Jesus. Now use your imagination. What might that be? What might might it be that if you now share with Christ's inheritance, you are co-heirs with Christ, what would the inheritance be for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the Father? What kind of inheritance would this one have? That inheritance is yours too. Now there's a lot that can be said about that inheritance, right? I'm sure we could spend days and hours. I would even, could argue that in some ways the entire Bible is written to help us understand what those riches, inheritance, and expectations we are, are have. But Paul in this text uses one word that's important for us to understand and it's the word glory. Now, the word glory is an interesting word because it can just be used in, in the uh, sense of worship or praise or honor. Um, God is to be glorified or glorify the Lord. Uh, God deserves glory and honor and praise. You've heard it that way, right? But the word glory actually comes from, uh, when, you, when you compare it to how it's used in the Old Testament, from something more significant than that. And it means this. It means, and I want to make sure I read it the way it's up there. Yeah, okay, weight, value, value. Or measure of a thing. So if I, if I had a substance, maybe gold, I wanted to see how valuable it, it was, I would weigh it. And the weight of that gold would be its glory or its, or its worth or its value. Or it literally can be kind of almost the, the complementing idea of that. You can see how the word might have taken on new connotations in different contexts. A thing of weight or substance. So uh, I might talk about money. Um, have you ever you ever been one of those people uh, maybe or maybe you know someone who doesn't want to receive their check in direct deposit? You know you know that person. I've got some friends at work who're that way. They're like, no, I, I got to see it in my hand. I've got to hold it in my hand. I got to touch it. I got to see all those zeros. There's not really that many zeros, but I got to see all three of them. You know, whatever two of them or whatever it is, I got to see them. Um, that type of person understands what the word glory is because they want to see the real thing. They want to see the tangible proof, the substance of their money. They just don't want a conceptual digital deposit into their bank account. That's what this idea of glory is. It's the real thing, the thing of substance, not just the concept or the idea. And what it is, and this last part of the definition to me is the most helpful um, when we put all these things together. It's the reveal, the real, revealed, tangible presence of something. Some text, I think, will help us do that. So we're going to go through a few texts. This is Romans chapter 1 verse 23. This is what we did or what humanity did at the fall. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. What did we do? We we exchanged the real tangible presence of of an awesome God for idols in our own will and our own desires. So that's the word glory describing this real tangible presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 7 helps us understand it a bit as well. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages. For whose glory? Now, who's supposed to be glorified? Y'all are, what's that? All right, good. So God's supposed to be glorified. that who does this text supposed to say is supposed to have glory? Us. Man, that's weird. All right, let's keep reading. John seventeen, verse twenty-two. I have given them the glory you have given me. Does that blow your mind just a little bit? That blows my mind. I'll say that as I've read and say this text this week, that literally blows my mind. How much glory does Jesus deserve? All of it. How much does he have? How much does he have in, in the Father, all of it? That must mean something different, right? I've given them the glory you have given me. Uh, Romans 6, verse 4 is going to help us dig a little bit deeper. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. So what does all that mean? That probably sounds different. Uh, If you grew up in a church like I've grown up in and spent most of my time in, I don't think that I've noticed texts like that in most of my Christian journey. Texts that say very clearly that God wants you to have glory. Not just any glory, but the same glory that Jesus has. God wants you to have. Jesus prayed for it. What does that mean? Well, I think the last text began to help us understand what it means, right? That God wants to have us to have His revealed Active power and presence in our lives. I think that first text in Romans helps us understand what it means a bit. When God's glory is signifying His revealed presence, the same that we experience in the garden. It's the same thing. I don't know if I have it up there, so I'm going to flip it over. Look at I think it's Second Peter. Do I have Second Peter? No, Second Peter. Look at Second Peter with me for a second. In chapter one. I'm probably not gonna be able to find it because I didn't put it up there. It's in chapter four. I mean chapter one, verse four. And I want you to notice just how um similar this is to the text we're reading. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. By these. Which is, let's read in verse 3. For, for his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. So his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. It means we have it all. Through the knowledge of him, so getting to know God, who called us by his glory and goodness. This sounds exactly like Ephesians, doesn't it, so far? Verse 4. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature. What is it saying? That because we are unified with Jesus, we are one with him. We are in Christ is what is said over and over and over in the first 14 verses of Ephesians. Because we are in Christ, all that God is in Christ, God desires to be in you. In the same way that the Spirit of God lived and flourished richly in Jesus, uninhibited, unadulterated, unfiltered in Jesus, God wants to live through you. The same access to the divine nature that Jesus has, so do you. That's your hope. That's the expectation you should have because of your position in Jesus, because of your calling. That is the riches of inheritance that you have as a co heir with Jesus. Let's keep reading. He goes on to say not only is what is the hope to which is called you and what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and then the next way he describes the same idea and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So he helps to find even further what does this glory mean. It is the glory, the presence of God working powerfully in us. According, he goes on to say, what kind of power, what does this power look like? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, when, and he's going to give us two, two ways in which this power shows itself, this power of God that lives inside of us, that we should expect to experience every day in every way. Presently, he's going to tell us two, ra- two ways in which that power has already been demonstrated so that we can understand how powerful it is and the effects it has. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he did two things. Raised him from the dead, number one. That's the kind of power power we should have. That sounds like Romans 6 if you know your Bible really well, right? we read earlier. And I think we missed this one sometime. The same power, which begins to speak of his authority, his position. We get to experience the same power, authority, position that Jesus has when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. We share in, because we are one with Christ, because He is in us and we are in Him, we are unified with Jesus, we experience the same power within us that God used when He raised Jesus from the dead. If you want to be raised from the dead in your life, you have all the power spiritually to experience resurrection every day if you feel like you are dead in your ability to overcome pornography good news you can be resurrected through jesus christ if you feel like you are dead in your in your ability to overcome selfishness in your life good news you can be resurrected through the power of jesus christ if you feel like you are unable to say no to chocolate cake because you have no discipline good news even if you are dead in that you can be resurrected through Jesus Christ, through the power that lives inside of you because God is inside of you, not through your own ability or through your own will. And not only that, you've been seated with Christ in his position of authority so that whatever, whatever authority Jesus has to be able to, to accomplish his will on the earth, you share in that authority. That's going to be a very important idea in text as you keep reading through the book of Ephesians. It comes up again in chapter 3. It comes up again in chapter 4. It comes up again in Ephesians chapter 6 when the Bible talks about all the weird demonic stuff that is out there in the world. You're like, that sounds crazy. It does sound crazy. Stay tuned and you get to have, that should have been like our Halloween message or something like that. But this, this passage is going to keep coming up over and over and over in Ephesians, right? It's going to be this idea of you are in Christ and because of that the power of Christ is in you and you share in the authority and power of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's amazing to me. Thank you, Mary. And then he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. And literally it says, uh, when, you, when you read this in the Greek, it says, and, he, and, he, and gave him the head over all things, so that's who Jesus is, to the church. So God gave the one who is head over all things to the church, which is his body. We're unified. So, uh, what, what, all things are under what? Under Jesus. But under what part of Jesus? All things are under his, his authority. Keep, we're going to keep, we're going to try one more time. It's okay, we're doing good. Uh, and look at the text. Take a second. Pause for a second. Look at the text. Feet. Somebody said it. Awesome. All things are under his feet, right? And what are we? We are his body. He is our head. So all things are under whose feet? Our feet. Oh, man, that's awesome to me. I might be the only one excited this morning, but that's okay. I I was worshiping earlier. I was having a good time. Anyway, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. Or fills all in all. The church, our position, our experience of Jesus, us being unified with Jesus is the location, the locus of the fullness and presence and power and authority of Jesus Christ. If you want to experience resurrected, powerful, living Jesus, you've got to come in contact with the community of Jesus. So How? We're going to go back to the first, first part of that text and we're going to real quickly come through a few just quick ideas about how do we, how do we get there. Because I should be done already. So when we go back to the, to the top, uh, there's a few things that are going to teach us how we get there. And it's this idea. It's what Paul's praying for. We're going to kind of work our way from the, from the bottom of the top. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know him or fully know him. That's a to be enlightened is, is in, in Greek, it's a perfect tense verb, uh, which you don't have to remember that, but remember this. Remember that a perfect tense verb is something that speaks to an action that happens in a moment and then has continual effect so that you end up in the state of whatever is described there. So what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to have a moment or multiple moments in your life to where your eyes, your spiritual eyes, the eyes of your heart experience light. Revelation so that you may fully know him. And then he gives us two things. He says, may give you the spirit. And in, in most texts, it's capital S, uh, making it sound like it's the Holy Spirit. If I had time, I, th- I think I could prove to you that it's not the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation, but so that you would have a spirit, you would have a, a, an inner disposition, your heart would be prepared for. Uh, if you, I think you can probably see it too if you see that the text in parallel immediately goes to the idea of heart. So your heart should be prepared for um, can you be quiet up here? I'm trying to preach. Just, I'm joking. That, that was a joke, and if it wasn't Brendan, I would have never said that. Um, so if you're a guest, don't, don't be afraid to get close. Um, so, so your heart needs to be transformed by God's presence to have a disposition to where you can experience wisdom and revelation. So what's revelation? Revelation is when God reveals to you in the moment who he is, his promises, his nature, truths about, about, about God. Wisdom is experiential. So let's walk through quickly what does that mean. Here's what it means. It means experience follows expectations. What Paul is teaching us is that how do we experience this? We experience this when we begin to expect it. Do you remember what hope meant? Hope meant expectation. If you pulled out your phone right now, or if you have your phone out, and you flipped over to your web browser, which if you use a good phone is called Safari, um, and if you pulled out your web browser and you opened it up, you would expect to be connected to what? The internet, right? That's just what you've learned to expect. Uh, you pull out your phone, you pull out the web browser, you've, you've learned to expect that the internet is there. So let me ask you a question. Can you look around? Everybody look around. Anybody see the internet? No, it's not. you can't see it, right? But right now, the internet is all around us. It's here. It's available to us. We access it when we expect it to be there. We believe it's there, we have confidence it's there, even to the point that we even forget about just how confident and how much faith we have in it. We expect it to be there. What Paul is teaching us is that as we uh, as our hearts get into the disposition of where we can hear from God's Spirit, and God's Spirit can teach us, in those moments, we are going to be in a position to experience the presence and revelation of God. It reminds me of a story. A story where there was a gentleman who had been spelunking in a cave uh, by himself, and his lights went out. And uh, he was deep in the earth, and he tried to navigate his way back to where he was. But one of the parts of the journey required him to navigate down a steep, steep incline. And so he hooked in a, a rope, and he started navigating in the pitch black down this incline. But really was dependent on the rope. And he got to the very bottom of the rope. But he couldn't tell what was beneath him. But he wondered how far he was from the bottom. Pitch black, couldn't see. He could have been a thousand feet. And disengaging from the rope meant falling to his death. He could be two feet. The reality, he couldn't see, couldn't determine. Finally, when he was rescued the next morning, people showed up and turned the lights on around him. He looked down and the ground was beneath him, two, three feet away. All night long, the reality that he could have experienced was right there beneath him. The reality of the, of the blessings and the riches of God are all around us. They're in us. Christ has, if you are a follower of Jesus, Christ has put inside of you the Spirit of God. And our challenge is to identify and live in faith in that moment. Sinclair Ferguson, in a book uh, about being in unity with Christ, he, he quotes something he saw in a newspaper once in Scotland. Will Angus MacDonald, that's a good Scottish name, this whole thing is so Scottish. Please contact McKay, Campbell, and Ross, solicitors, at 10 Bannonburn Street, where he will learn something to his advantage. Mr. McDonald, uh, for those of you who have ever worked in the legal field, know exactly what's going on here. Mr. McDonald had come into an inheritance. That inheritance was his. It was in his name. All he had to do was go claim it. This text is teaching us as we get into a disposition to hear from the Spirit of God and listen to the Spirit of God, have a relationship with Jesus. I don't mean that some church Sunday school way. I have a relationship. Jesus is my best friend. I mean listen to Jesus, talk with Jesus, hear Jesus, uh, spend time on the Word of God as a a way, as a platform to to, uh, encounter the presence of Jesus. Then God will begin to reveal to us the Internet that's around us, the truth that's around us. that there is beneath us a ground that we we can drop to, that we do have an inheritance that's full, that's real. I want us to end with this quote. There's so much more we could do here, and and man, I would love to spend more time studying it, but we can do that when we discuss. I want to end with this quote from Martin Luther, because I think it helps define for us what, what Paul is teaching us and how we engage all the blessings that we have in Christ. Here's what Martin Luther said. A Christian, if he but believe it, may boast of the merits of Christ and all His blessing, even as if He had won them all Himself. That is the glory, the riches, the inheritance, the power exceeding abundant that God has prepared for us. So when you face temptation, when you you face weakness, know that inside of you is the power of God. How hard was it for Jesus to say no to sin and yes to righteousness? I don't think it was so hard. That's why when Jesus described the Christian life, he said, come to me and take my yoke because it's light and easy. When you're yoked up with the right person, the work becomes very simple. That's the expectation Jesus gives us for our experience in walking with him. Let's pray. Father, I know Will did this a few weeks ago, and I said he shouldn't have done it. Like, yeah, I said, you shouldn't have said it was a bad message because uh, it was good, you know, all that stuff. But God, there's no way I can do this text justice. And I feel the weight of that right now. I feel the weight of the glories of the the idea of unity with Jesus. The weight of it. I feel like we just kind of, I don't know, walked up to the river of life and took a thimble out and sipped on it. Would you, as we've seen, do what Paul asked? Can we just join our hearts with the prayer of Paul? And just ask you, Father, would you shine light into our spiritual eyes and cause us to see? Help us have God right now in the name of Christ and the authority of Christ. As if I were Christ, I ask you, Father, to cause our eyes to see Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know, fully know, fully experience what is the expectation of our experience, of our position in Jesus. That we'd fully experience the glorious presence and power of God in our life. It is our inheritance that we would fully experience the power of God, and not just any power, but the power that you used, the power that was engaged, the power that was revealed when Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father and positioned on the right at the right hand of the Father. And all things were put under his feet, and we are his feet. Let us experience that, Christ. Let us know that. Let us see that. I don't even know how to do anything other than, God, show us. show us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Restoration Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit us at www.restorationchurch.us or check us out on the Facebook page at RestorationDCH.